I'm Enoch Fossum. And I'm Austin Ivey, and you're listening to the What About Therapy Podcast. What about therapy? All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 76. Woo-woo. Wowee. So this episode is going to be really special because this is going to be Austin's story about what's been going on the past five years with him and his family. And I'm going to play the role of interviewer. It's not really going to be formal. I'm just going to throw in some questions here and there. I personally don't have a lot of experience with uh, dealing with cancer in my family. And so I'm sure there are some of you, probably a lot of you as well, that don't really have a lot of experience with cancer. And so that's going to be my role in this episode is playing the role of those of us that don't really understand um, how cancer can affect families in such a way that can be uh, really hard. And then Austin's going to um, give advice, tell a story about maybe things that he wished he knew or things that he did back when his dad was still with us that may be helpful for those of you that may have um, close family members or a spouse or, or someone that is struggling with cancer currently. So let's start. Austin, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, and I guess to kind of reiterate what Enoch said about like the point of this, um, I really want to throw it out there. This is in no way a pity me podcast. Um, the goal and the purpose of us doing this is to, like Enoch said, increase some awareness of the struggle that people go through. Um, when in regards to the the very unique circumstance of dealing with any type of cancer diagnosis, we this we kind of got this idea, just having a conversation, having a date night with our wives, and we were just talking about how how unique of an experience it is to to deal with this and the reasoning behind it, kind of more like deep philosophical views and what we thought about why people have to go through things like this, and it took more of a religious connotation as well, but kind of sparked my interest. Like maybe we could talk about this and. Uh, increase awareness, increase empathy. And like Enoch said, um, if you are struggling with this or in the future ever do, you can refer back to maybe some of the things that you learned because not to say I have all the answers, but I've learned a lot. I regret a lot of things in a good way, meaning I mm-hmm. wish I could have done things better and I'll kind of go into that. But there's just some things that I, I, I would never want to like, if I could save my dad, I would like back in time, I, I would totally do that. But <clears throat> if I had like a time machine and I couldn't save his life, there's so many things that I would change in regards mm-hmm. to the way that I handled things. And I'm going to cough really quick because for some reason my voice. <clears throat> there we go. Okay. Um, so I guess to start things off, my dad got diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Um, I think the size of his tumor, I think is like a little bit smaller than a golf ball. Um, in t- October of 2018, up to that point, he'd just been having some some G- GI distress. I want to say I was out on a church mission at that time in Florida and my family lives in Utah. And so I had no idea it was happening whatsoever. Mm. I knew that he was... Um, I knew that he was fine at that point. I was just on my mission doing my thing in Florida and, uh, I had no idea that he was kind of sick and they didn't know why they thought it was just like, he has diabetes that maybe it was some type of like irritable bowel syndrome or like some other autoimmune disease linked to like his bowels. They didn't really think it was cancer. At least from what I've heard, I don't like there could be more to it that I don't know, don't know about. But, uh, one day, um, for those who don't know, missionaries for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They typically get one day out of the week to communicate with their family. Um, it's called a preparation day where you just, your, your whole day is set aside for just communicating with family, like reconnecting, preparing for the rest of your workload in the week. <clears throat> and those days, um, I would get emails from my mom and we would, uh, just talk about my week, her week and stuff like that. And she would typically email me around. I was like, I lived in Florida, so I was two hours ahead. I would get her emails around, 9:30, like mm. right when she woke up the first thing she would do is she was email me and the same with my yeah. dad but she emailed me at i want to say 7 a.m eastern time and i woke up to her email and said the other way around and i was really like oh my mom must have not slept very well last night and yeah um, up. yeah i was like something's going on here like what's going on and she um she like um oh we're just your dad's at the doctor. He had a, a really early appointment before work. And so I'm just there with him and he just hasn't been feeling the best. And she was obviously just trying to make me not scared. And so I was like, Oh, okay, well, dad is just sick. And he's at the hospital. He didn't say hospital. They said doctor. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, Oh, okay, well that's no worries. 
so I just kind of went about my day and we just talked about other things. And then uh, Wednesday, that same week, so preparation day was on a Monday. Wednesday I was at a meeting and <clears throat> um, the the leader over at Mission is a mission president. And um, he pulled me aside and said he had received correspondence from my mom that um, my dad was sick and that she was going to be contacting me about it. And my dad had diabetes and like I thought maybe it was involved with that, that maybe like that had progressed in some way or another and he wasn't doing as well. Um, but he always took good care of it. So I was really confused. And so from Wednesday until Monday the next week, I was kind of in the dark about what was going on, just really nervous about it. And uh, I woke up to an email on Monday morning that next Monday, um, and it was the, the full diagnosis and prognosis of what was going on. And um, there was like a whole fancy name of what the cancer was, mm, and yeah. the whole, it was stage three, size of golf ball. He's getting surgery in November. And I just remember like, I don't even remember reading the email. I saw cancer and I stopped reading. Mm. Um, my companion at the time, that the other missionary I was assigned to, um, to work with, he uh, he asked me like, so like, what's going on? Like, is your dad okay? And I looked at him pretty blank and I said, oh, my dad has cancer. And I remember saying it really apathetically and I probably just because I was so scared. And he remembered him just like his face just being so like worried. Like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. that sucks. Like, how do you feel? Like, are you going to go home? And I was like, oh, it's okay. I remember just being so disconnected from my feelings at that mm. point because I was so scared yeah. and just so worried. I didn't know what was going on. I wanted to go home from my mission. And um, I remember there was a part of my the email I want to remember that my dad had also emailed that, like, he said, everything's going to be fine. Like, don't worry about coming home. Like, the doctors are confident that everything's going to be okay. And at that point, they were just based off of where it was. And he ended up getting surgery a few months later. And his... uh treatment at the time was diagnosed as I think it was nine to 12 chemo treatments. So he had his, um, he started out with the removal of most of his colon. I think it was 18 inches of his colon, which is basically all of it. Um, and then I think like 10 lymph nodes, I want to say around that area that had also had suspected of having cancer in it. So that's why it was considered stage three because it was more than just the colon. And there are four stages? Yeah. So stage three is, um, yeah, three or four. And four is considered terminal, like yeah. typically on... Like beyond um, repair. Yeah. Like it's, it will kill you one day yeah. when it's a stage four. That's kind of the, I'm not a doctor. I'm sure a doctor would be able to explain a little bit better. The way I've always understood it is stage three is pretty late stage. And there's like different stages within the stages. Hmm. And my dad was considered an early stage of stage three okay. at that time. And so the prognosis was a little more positive, still a little bit scary be, they didn't see any cancer in his lungs or mm. liver, which is where it goes after the lymph nodes typically. And so they were like, oh, chemo should do it. If it's in the lymph nodes, chemo will do it. No, not even a problem. And at the time, it, was, it wasn't it was a problem. He did chemo the whole time I was on the rest of my mission. I had about a year left when he got diagnosed and colon removed, I want to say, right after Thanksgiving, I think. Mm. Or right before, I can't remember. And then started chemo, what's it, like March, February of 2019? I can't remember. And then he was done by the time I got home from my mission in August of 2019. He was he mm. was actually declared cancer-free in 2019. It was this huge win. Like, I FaceTimed him, and like at his last chemo session, they, he rang the bell, and Sweet. Um, it was like a victory over cancer. It was a really cool feeling at the time. And um, that was a cathartic experience um, because it felt like it was gone, and that, like, Dad won. Um, looking back, that was really <laughs> crappy of a thing to have to go through because it was like a really false sense of hope. Um, but it is what it is now. It doesn't matter. But some time went on. That was August, no, July, 2019. And periodically you do scans and blood tests, um, mm -hmm. as a post cancer patient just to monitor because things change and cancer gets missed. And unfortunately that was the case with my dad. Um, he went for a routine screening in, um, January of 2020 and he, Man, I can't remember. I kind of blocked that day out too. Um, I remember being upstairs. I was, um, I believe I was, I just started, I was working construction, but I was up, I was upstairs in my room. I was living at home with my parents at the time. And my mom just started like, but I'll do respect to my mom. She was like wailing downstairs, like a very um, primal cry. Like it was deep and I knew something was deeply deeply wrong my first thought was me my dad got in a car accident yeah so i ran downstairs and i was like what's going on like what happened like what's going on and um 
I can't remember which one it was, but I think my dad had called her because he had gotten a call from his doctor saying that the cancer had spread to his lungs mm-hmm. based off of the scan that they did. They saw that it was all over his lungs. It was like, they said like countless modules of, they didn't call them tumors. They're just, I can't remember. They called them like nodules, but they were cancerous like nodules. Tumors? Yeah, really like a, a smaller version of a tumor, just okay. all over his lungs, like peppered. Yeah. Mm. I was like, one lung was just completely like white. Of, wow. of, it was bad. It was really bad. And that was only six months later? After <sighs> About six months. Free? Yeah, July 2019 to January okay. of 2020. Yeah. Okay. So it never went away. Yeah. Um, they missed it, essentially. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of theories of why that happened. The doctors gave me a few different things, but just got missed. And that was really scary. The doctor told him at that point that he had about about five years to live. For this point of the cancer, you have about five years to live. And it's kind of crazy how right he was almost. Um, So it went from like zero in quotations to stage four. Yeah, essentially to where he was. Because they they thought to the perspective of last chemo treatment, um, based off of what we knew, it was gone. Technically, it it was always stage four. And they just didn't know it. They just didn't mm. catch it in the lungs. Either it um, it spread during chemo and the chemo wasn't strong enough. And so it spread without them realizing it. Or it was always there in the lungs and it was so small that the chemo before couldn't get to it. Because the mm. blood vessels are like on the outside of the lungs are very small. Yeah. And it's hard to get chemo there. And so the type of chemo they were doing just wasn't effective for that type of tumor. And so it allowed it time to grow for six months from last chemo mm-hmm. to, we just didn't know it was, it yeah. was always there. And, um, that's one of the worst parts is that, um, again, it's that false hope that was really crappy. So doctor from there said he had about five years to live max from that moment. And that was a, that was a terrible, terrible feeling. And I think one of the biggest things as like a, a lesson from that was that, um, I felt like a victim, you know, I got really into a big victim mentality at that point, And I think, A lot of people who, I don't want to say like speak for people, but I think it's easy to get into that victim mentality. Victim is in like, why me? Yeah. Like why our family? Why him? Like, he's such a good person, like literal salt of the earth. And I got really embittered at that point, Mm. not towards like any like certain thing, but I was just, I was mad. I was just really angry at the like, why him? You know, because we'd already been through so much. He'd already been through so much. And that's like one thing anyone going through anything like this is stay out of that victimhood mentality. It just makes you mad. It just makes your feelings a lot worse. Um, so what would, what would you do? Like if you went back in time to the exact, that exact situation or that, you know, next couple of days or weeks where you were bitter and, mm-hmm. and in the victim mentality, what would you do instead? Maybe someone's going through that right now. I wish I would have leaned into my family a lot more. I was, I had no idea I wanted to be a therapist at that point. I actually hadn't figured it out quite yet. Um, knowing what I know about now about family stress and family therapy, I really wish I would have just leaned into my relationship with my parents and especially my siblings as well. Cause they were struggling as well as much as I was or more. I just, I just would have spent more time with them at that so point to connection. like, yeah, just connect and focus less on the problem of what was causing the issue and just focus more on the connection we still had as a family, yeah. like despite that. And we ended up doing really well with that afterwards, mm. like with enough time passed, um, about around the same time that like COVID started, we started feeling a lot better about it. Like just like, okay, we're going to do what we can. Like the doctors were a little bit more confident at that point that the chemo could last maybe more than five years and they could keep them alive for longer. And maybe there could actually like with radiation, even they could maybe kick it. And so like mm. over time, the feeling got better, but yeah. for, I want to say like a month after that, I really wish I would have spent less time focusing on how I was feeling and more about how my family was feeling and, and be there for them more. And I, the way I remember it is that I was just kind of like turned inward a ton in a bad way. Cause it's not always bad to turn inward in right. a time of crisis, but I did it too much to my detriment. So more time turning outward, especially to my dad. He struggled so silently. Yeah. We always said, Oh, he's, he's the one with cancer, but he's the one helping us. And that's because of how amazing of a person he was. But I think that caught up to him very quickly, especially towards the end of his life. He didn't know what anxiety was because he was just a chill dude. But towards the end of his life, um, anxiety and I think a little bit of depression ruled his life, unfortunately. Mm. And I think that started with him kind of suppressing his feelings and not having someone to go to because he couldn't, he couldn't go to some people, I think, in the family just because um, I don't know if he felt comfortable, but he, 
for some reason, always felt comfortable coming to me and we developed that later on. But I wish I would have established that relationship earlier on that you can come to me if you need anything. Like you're the one who has to go through this. And um, I just wish I could have been there more for him rather than trying to turn inward and make myself feel better. Hmm. So it's kind of a regret that I have. Um, I guess after that, it was just a whole lot of the same for about three years. From that point, we were really super careful around COVID stuff because right, at that I was point, see how was COVID through that? It was weird. He he was he had such a good job, man. Like Mendenhall Commercial Laundry, Bountiful Utah, salt of the earth people. They took such good care of him. They got a PPE loan from the from the state, and so they were able to pay my dad to stay home for like three months. Sweet. He just That's stayed cool. home and he played Xbox, and I was so happy for him because he was just doing chemo, staying home, and he would cook and just. It was, it was actually a, the, it was weird because, um, we're all cooped up and like quarantined in our home because I was working from home for Vivint Smart Home. And, um, so was my mom was working from home as well. And so mm-hmm. it was just like all chilling. We were all just chilling at home. And my yeah. sister was in high school doing her school from home. And my brother was, um, he was also, uh, was he living there at that point? Honestly, I can't remember, but he was in and out a lot. And so it was just, we were just hanging out. It was actually great. We spent a lot mm-hmm. of time together, um, made like it was each person's turn some night of the week to like make a fancy dinner. And mm-hmm. I would always do like Mexican food and this whole spread of like <laughs> street tacos. And mm-hmm. it was honestly a great time. It was a, it was a blessing to, because he was in a, a vulnerable population. I got to spend so much time with him at that point. And it was awesome. And, uh, we were super careful though. My mom was like yeah. masks everywhere we go. And as soon as the vaccine came out, I'm sure he was probably one of the first people in Utah to get it. He was there so quickly. And so was I, I, I took every precaution I could. I'm not getting my dad sick. Yeah. That is, just, I'm not going to be the one that kills my dad. And so we were super careful with stuff like that. Um, up until even like six months ago, if I was sick, I'd, I'd stay away from my dad. I just wasn't going to do that. He ended up getting COVID, <laughs> which is the funny part, but um, it was pretty mild, mm. fortunately enough. I think that was part and parcel to the vaccine that he took, but he was only sick for a few days. Anyways, COVID year, I ended up getting married. He was at like my wedding, my my brother's wedding. He was at one point he was at my brother's wedding. He was completely hairless, and so he had like no eyebrows or anything. And the chemo like that took his hair yeah. out and it's hilarious. He was completely bald, like his face. It was just like a shiny, like Mister <laughs> Clean. Of uh, funny pictures. Mr. Um, Clean. But I would say from like January 2020 to I want to say like May of 2022, things were pretty just normal. Mm. A lot of just chemo, him being sick on the weekends. I think I just want to take a quick note about chemo is like, man, is that like a terrible thing to watch someone go through? Yeah. Like that's a, like the thing that's healing them is, is killing them. You know, it's such an interesting thing because it's really, really interesting. Yeah. He, he would go kind of on and off trying different chemos because it would stop working and it would start working. Um, he'd go on a different one or a different dose and, uh, he just gets so sick, so sick. And, um, being the strong dude that he was, it was so hard to watch Yeah, him to go through that. And I guess at this point I would classify this point of, of this experience as never ending stress, hmm. you know, like we had really good times together. We went on vacations and we had so much fun. We went to Hawaii together in 2022, went to Disney world and we'd go to dinner with them all the time, go shopping. And a lot of times it is very normal. And we'd kind of joke about the cancer. I'd call his chemo sessions, his haircuts, because mm. like, um, cause like it stopped, either stopped his hair from growing or his hair would fall out. Yeah. And so it was like, Oh, time to go get your expensive haircut or your $1,800 haircut. And he would <laughs> laugh about it and it'd be whatever. Or like, yeah, we'd joke about how we could get out of things cause we had the cancer card. And it was just like, it was getting like a family joke at that point. Cause we were just like, what else do we do with this thing? Right. But it was so stressful. And that's why I kind of classify this time as stressful because I think anyone who's dealt with cancer, like in their family or like who knows anyone who's actively being treated is the never ending blood tests, the never ending CT scans and the never ending screenings to see if it's spread. And I think his screenings would go every, every two to three months on it. I can't remember, but I would, we'd go to their house and I'd open up the fridge and he'd get these like bottles of what they call pigment or something and they drink it. He'd have to drink it the day before the MRI or the CT scan Mm -hmm. because it shows up because they would go into his blood vessels and it would highlight the vessels mm-hmm. more. And like, it's just for the, the screening so they can see the tissue better. Yeah. And I, I knew that was coming up when I'd open up their fridge. Cause we'd go to dinner to their house every single Sunday. We'd open up the fridge and there'd be the banana flavored 
um, CT scan drink that he had to drink, and it was disgusting, and he'd throw up almost every time he'd, he'd take it, and he'd have to go get another one. Didn't taste like bananas? Did not taste like bananas. <laughs> it, I just said that it was banana flavor. He ended up getting one that was vanilla that he said it was a little bit better because they weren't trying to be anything. It was yeah. just it was just like vanilla. the... But anyways, yeah. um, we'd go from CT, CT scan to CT scan, and we'd go like every other. It would be good. It'd be like, oh, it shrank. Like the tumor shrank. Like... 0.1 millimeter like oh yay good stuff or like yeah and then the next one would be like it it grew yeah, or, or it spread to a different part of the lung it was just like up and down and up and down and up and down and then he'd get these blood tests that level they measure a thing called cea which is like i can't remember the name but essentially it tracks i think it's an antibody linked to specifically this type of colon cancer hmm. and so they would if they're if that level is high in the blood that means there's a lot of the cancer in the body at that point and if it's lower, that means the cancer is shrinking. And so they okay. could measure the level of cancer in his body essentially by measuring that level of, it's called CEA. And they do that with a lot of different types of cancers. There's a certain type of blood marker they can measure. And so he'd get a CEA test every month. And I'd get a text from my mom towards the beginning of every month. CEAs went up. And those texts were always really somber. I'd, I'd get really depressed around that time because then they start thinking it's spreading. He's going to die soon. It's yeah. a terrible feeling. And then the next month it would be, CEAs are down 10 points. Like, we mm. got to go celebrate. Let's go to dinner. Like, And it was just never-ending roller coaster, mm. up and down. And it was just two years. Um, And I guess to get into the point of like the last year or so, we got into where he started to really decline. And I think anyone who's gone through a cancer-like experience, it's probably all pretty similar like it's almost like the grim reaper is following your loved one. Like hmm. you start to see things that, that kind of indicate that their time is really coming to a close and you see in their countenance, you see it in the way that they breathe. That was a weird one. Like just seeing the way that my dad breathed toward the end of his life, you could like see his neck move more hmm. than his chest. It's like he was trying so hard to breathe because the cancer yeah. was just infecting his lungs. But anyways, um, what was I getting at? Towards the beginning of 2022 is when he started to decline. So like beginning of last year, we ended up uh, ended up going to Hawaii in, in May of last year. And I think of that as the last time that he uh, was really like healthy. I, I always say that he was like pre-cancer dad. He was just in his element, you know, having yeah. fun. I remember we were at the beach one time and I'm so excited because we're going to Hawaii next week. We're recording two episodes right now and because I'll be in Hawaii next week and we're going to be going to the beach where me, him, my wife, and my sister were playing in the surf. And there was at one point where he, uh, like his foot touched a, a branch and he thought it was like an octopus or something. And so he like, he screamed, he's like, it's an octopus. <laughs> like he screamed like a little girl and it was so funny. And like, I remember in that moment thinking to myself, like, like I've got my dad back. Yeah. Because it, because it, I'd, I'd stressed myself out so much over the years that I forgot who my dad was and how much of a yeah. goofball he was. And so I guess this takes me to one of the points that I wanted to drive home is that, um, unfortunately cancer takes everything from a person and a family to a certain extent, but from the person who's getting treated, um, they just become so exhausted from the treatments. So just it breaks him down. Like chemo is such a disgusting thing when you really think about what it does. Um, it heals cancer, but it's terrible. And uh, a lot of who he was got eaten up by cancer, unfortunately, mm. especially when he was on chemo. I just kind of like lost my dad. But he was always there to a certain extent. So I guess what I would say to anyone who ever has to go through this or is currently going through this is look for ways to, to like revive that relationship with that person despite how they're feeling. Like your person is never truly gone. So just trying to find ways to connect with them and know that although they're, they're probably not feeling the best, to like really maintain that relationship and to feel better about it. Just find ways to feel the way things used to be before, can before cancer, like reclaim that relationship and that person, or if you can, from the get go, never lose it. Do mm. things that you can that are appropriate and that work for your, how they're feeling to just, so you don't lose them. Yeah. You know, because I, I got in my head so much thinking of dad is cancer guy instead of dad that sometimes it was hard to connect with him because when he was like doing chemo, it'd be hard to look at him. And I, cause all I would see would be this broken person laying on the couch, throwing up because of the chemo, not the, 
the guy who would take me to football practice and pump me up to Metallica to try to tackle someone at football <laughs> practice, you know, and it's hard not to get into the mindset of seeing them as broken because they kind of are. Um, but I think it's important to maintain a certain level of understanding that cancer patients are among the strongest people in the world. You know, they, they go through so much and they experience so much. And so it's almost like a paradigm shift. And I kind of hate that word sometimes because it's just like a fancy word for like change your mindset. Yeah. But you do just need to change the way you see them. Not as broken because I, I did that so much with my dad and I, I regret that because it kind of changed the way that I interacted with him. Hmm. And, um, sometimes that I was kind of avoidant of talking to him because I didn't want to hear his voice when he was starting to lose his voice. Or I didn't want to look at him when he was sick and I, cause I was kind of avoidant and I still am at some points. So if you're avoidant like me, do the exact opposite and just really lean into it just by how sick they look, never avoid them because there's times that I did or I'd avoid hard conversations that he needed to talk about. Just really lean into things, lean into things as hard as it is to see them in a certain in instance, just don't disconnect with them because you never know when they're going to be gone. Right. I feel like when we're dealing with people that are going through really hard times, we don't like to bring it up because we don't want to feel bad for that person. Absolutely. Right. Or you don't think they don't want to talk about it or something, but yeah. I think the majority of the time we need to, like Austin said, like change that mindset, right? Change that mm -hmm. paradigm shift to lean more towards that, even if it does make you feel uncomfortable. That's going to be so scary. <laughs> if it makes you feel uncomfortable to talk to someone like uh, your dad, brother, mom, anyone who has cancer, I would say that's a sign that you may want to lean into it a little more. Oh, absolutely. And to talk to that person more about it. Because I'm sure, and I don't know if your dad wanted to talk about it or not, mm -hmm. but I feel like that would be, that's more helpful than not talking about it at all and trying to just avoid it just because it makes you feel awkward. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And since we're just talking about it now, that's not like a point that I really wanted to drive home with this conversation because my mom and my siblings and my wife and uh, my sister-in-law, we talked about this very thing mm. after he had passed. We were all kind of like living at my mom's house right after he died. And um, we all came to the consensus that we regret so much not being more direct about the experience. You know, mm. we kind of just avoided like, like it was the plague you know, especially the thought of him dying. And I think that's something that all families that have to go through this have to really confront head on and be comfortable with the thought that you could and may in fact lose your loved one way earlier than you had previously expected. Oof, excuse me, Panda Express. Um, I just deeply regret not confronting those thoughts more head on because of when thoughts of I could lose my dad very soon would come up, I would become more avoidant of, of him. Not just like I wouldn't go see him, but like I would feel very negative being around him because I'd see him and all I would be thinking is he could die soon because we never confronted those thoughts. We never talked about it right. as a family. Yeah. And it's hard and uncomfortable as a conversation like that can be. I can say like verifiably one of the, my biggest regrets over this whole five year experience is not being more direct over the reality of losing my dad and having that conversation before he passed because he would bring it up and he would talk mm. about it. There was, we have a really cool experience. Um, and I guess I can kind of skip ahead a little bit, um, where he had found a song that he really liked that talked about like dying early is by five, by five finger death punch. Mm. It's called brighter side of gray. And it essentially just talks about like the, the, the writer talks about like, if he dies tomorrow, this is his message to the world and to mainly to his daughter. And so we were coming home from ice cream in Orem. I want to say like early 2022 like first half. And, um, he said, all right, guys, I have a song that I need you to listen to after I die. Hmm. And my mom would always get mad at him and we would get mad at him. Like, don't say that you're going to live till you're 80. Stop saying that. And I would always get mad. at him, like, dad, you're gonna live till you're 75. I'll listen to it when you're 75. <laughs> and, and that was start, part, partly a joke, but I was super avoidant of the thought of losing him. But, He's like, just, just remember it, write it down. Whenever I do die, um, make sure you listen to that song, but don't listen, listen to it until you, until I'm dead. And the night that he passed, I was like, I was like 1am or something like that. Um, it was either my wife or my mom. I can't remember. Those, those memories are pretty shady. Um, 
maybe we should listen to that song that your dad said to listen to. And it was perfect. You know, it's an amazing song. I highly recommend everyone listening to it. It's called Brighter Side of Grey by Five Finger Death Punch, but it talks about like wipe away the tears, like be brave. You know, it talks about some life lessons, like make sure to share and to be, to be kind to others, just kind of stuff like that. And it was perfect. And I regret so much not leaning into that more, you know, and mm-hmm. saying like, well, like, why do you want to listen to that after you pass away? And like, what made you think that? Like, I'm not going to listen to it yet, but like, why are you thinking that right now? I wish I would have asked him, like, what's making you feel like you, you need us to know this right now? Because I think he, need, like you said, I don't know if he wanted to talk about it. I don't know that he wanted to. I really don't think he wanted to, but he really needed to so bad towards the end of his life. He was dealing right. with so much. And it, I think it just took, it needed, he needed someone to lean into him right. and be like, how are you feeling right now? He started seeing a therapist towards the end. Um, I think the last couple months of his life, and I think it was too late, unfortunately. But that could have been so much better for him. Like his, at the end of his life experience could have been so much better if me personally could have leaned in just a little bit more. And it's been like, Dad, how are you feeling? Like, and that's something that I I I, I hold a lot of guilt over. Is is that not uh, helping him more with his psychological struggles? Because mm-hmm. like we'd we'd make him dinner and we'd bring him snacks and stuff like that when he was like throwing up. We'd bring him Powerades so he could hydrate. Yeah. But I, I, I was very, very um, not there when it came to his emotional needs. More than I should have, because for some reason he, he trusted me with his needs emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just because he knew what I was doing for school, and he kind of just, like, he knew that I could handle it. Yeah. Um, and I wish I would have just, like I've said this a million times, I wish I would have leaned into it more and stopped avoiding it. So do you feel like someone who's going through this situation right now, do you feel like someone who let's say has stage four cancer, like it's, they're bound to die here in the next year or a couple of years. Do you feel like it would be helpful for them to help the one with cancer, accept the fact that they all, they are going to die? Cause that can be, I mean, I can't even like comprehend that. Like yeah, it's think, a weird you know, thought. Like trying to accept the fact that I'm going to die. And that can be really, obviously really stressful and really anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like it would have been helpful for your dad and anyone else who has stage four cancer right now? Is that, would that be helpful for you to talk to him about it and to help him accept the fact that he's going to die and what he can do right now to just feel better? I, I think I've thought about this a lot. I really have. And I think the biggest thing for me, and I can only speak to myself and I think maybe this could translate to other people, but to fully accept it, you know, the more you avoid it, the more that it hurts. And no one in my family, and I can't speak for the rest of my family members, I can speak for myself, and we have discussed this at length a little bit, um, no one wanted to kind of come to terms with it. We all wanted to avoid it, especially like the last couple of weeks of his life. He was, in a, he was in the hospital like three or four times within like a month. And we all just kind of like ignored it as like, oh, he's just going through something right now, and he's going to get better, and we'll be fine, he's going to live another 20 years. And looking back, there were so many indications that he was so close to dying, and we were just kind of like... You just need to get better. You just need to get better. Like as soon as you're better. And again, that's really stressful, really stress inducing. I said that twice, but that's, that's such a tough conversation. Um, but doing it as a family would be a lot easier. I think Yeah. coming together and this is something that, um, my mom had brought up pretty soon after he passed away that she wishes we would just kind of came together as a family and decided dad's dying. There's no way around this. He's, he's currently withering in front of us. Like as we speak, he, um, towards like the last like six months of his life, he had a really, really nasty cough, really bad. And I think had to do with partly because the, his cancer was spreading in his lungs and, um, uh, he had radiation on his lungs. I think it's Mm. just did some real bad damage to his lungs. So he would just constantly cough and he would just like, it was, it was really bad. And it like, I have like trauma whenever I hear someone cough. It's like weird, really weird. Um, and uh, that just got so much worse. And he lost like, I want to say like 60, 70 pounds in like a wow. five month period. He was a, he was a chunky dude. <laughs> he was a big dude. He had a, he had a belly and like, um, that was one of the hardest things. Cause, um, the week before he died, he was in the emergency room and my mom called me and like, like I'm taking your dad to the emergency room. Like he's not looking good at all. Yeah. And that was the first time that she kind of came to terms with this. She said, I think we have to accept the fact that dad might be dying soon. 
And I just kind of like, he's going to be fine. Like, he'll be fine. He's just sick. He'll be fine. He's getting over it. Because he actually did have a cold. They, they tested mm-hmm. his blood and he had a rhinovirus. But it's just because his body was so weak, this like common cold was taking a number on him. And so when he died, he actually had a, he technically had a cold. Um, but it was more than that that was taking his life. Anyways, I remember walking into the emergency room and just like seeing his body on the hospital bed. And my dad was always like a big dude, like giant biceps, huge calves. And he still had calves, huge calves when he died, but he was was the big dude. (laughs) Like he ran track in high school. I think he took state, um, when he was a junior, like I think second place in state when he was a junior, um, played football, baseball, everything. Just a strong guy. And then walking into the hospital room and seeing him just like a skeleton, that sucked. And I still didn't accept it. I was like, oh, he's going to get better. He'll be fine. You just got to put some weight back on. And I think those thoughts are beneficial. I think a positive outlook on a situation, um, scientifically, like there's some different family stress theories that show that's like integral to overcoming stress. But like in this unique circumstance of stage four cancer, there's a certain amount of positive outlook that just needs to stay away and you just need to be like okay we really need to focus on like this not negative outlook but the reality of this negative outcome right this is gonna happen i have to accept this is where like the acceptance of commitment therapy comes in and i totally disregarded it i even laying and sitting in front of him in this bed in the in the er i couldn't accept the fact that he was in fact dying and still avoided those thoughts and i could not bring myself to like truly confront them because I was ruminating over them every single day. Yeah. There's a huge difference between like rumination and like acceptance mm-hmm. of certain feelings. And I never fully accepted the fact that he was dying. Not even like when I was in the ICU when he was passing away, like when they had pumped him full of morphine and out of van, like I still had a hard time accepting the fact that he was dying. Um, and at that point it was because it all just came out. Like it was like a, a bottle that was shaken up. It just exploded and it was a terrible night. Um, but I don't think I'll, I don't think I have the strength to go through that quite yet to relive that. But um, it was like those last the last like month when we just saw him just really slowly just just wither away. Like it's the best way to think of it is like a, a candle that's slowly burning out because mm-hmm. it wasn't very dramatic. Nothing happened very quickly. It was just right. from like August of 2022 to November 20, 27th of 2022. That's the day that he died. It was just a long, slow burn. Mm-hmm. that none of us wanted to truly accept that he was dying because we had a like a Disney trip planned for January um, that we went on still that we were like, Dad, you just got to get better. We're going to go to Disneyland. And like one of the last things that he said, I guess my mom was there. The, the doctor said, uh, <laughs> I have a hard time not laughing and crying at the same time because it's kind of funny, but the doctor came in and said, we've tried everything. Um, you're not going to make it through the night. And uh, it was just him and my mom there. And uh, he said, I don't want to die. I want to go to Disneyland. And that was a, like a weird, that was a perfect example of his personality. He was completely serious. <laughs> like he just wanted yeah. to go to Disneyland, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know why I even brought that up, but that, that last month, I think one of the biggest things, like the last advice I would give to anyone when it comes to the story is uh, find yourself a comfortable situation and scenario circumstance to have that conversation because my last words to my dad were unfortunately the last thing that like I was able to say to him, he was high <laughs> on an anxiety drug called um, Ativan. And so he was out of it. And so he was able to look at me and say, he loves me. He put his hand on my hand, like all that stuff. Um, but honestly can't remember the last time I hugged him up to this point because I didn't want to hug his like thin body because it scared me again avoidance and so it's like all this avoidance stuff came together and made created so many regrets for me and I think it all comes down to how much I avoided the way that I was feeling avoided the fear that I had over what was happening in front of me so for anyone listening, hopefully this hits the ears of someone who needs it. When or if you ever come across a scenario like this, whether it's cancer or not, or you're faced with the death of someone that you love, do everything you can before that happens to make sure that the last time, I guess what I'm trying to say is hug the people that you love. Because I can't remember the last time I hugged my dad before he died. It's so stupid. 
I wish I would have. And it really just came down to me avoiding it. Make sure that they know that you love them and that just hug them as much as you can. I wasn't a huggy person. Right. And I just didn't hug them. I wish I would have. And I guess the, the lesson there is tell that little voice inside of your head that's making you terrified of confronting the reality that it needs to take the backseat to what really matters. Hmm. Because like the acceptance and commitment therapy thing, yeah, those feelings are going to be there. Your loved one's dying. He's losing weight. He's lost 60 pounds in the last four or five months. He looks like a skeleton. He can barely talk. He can barely breathe without his oxygen. And again, this is like specific to my dad's scenario. So everyone's going to be different. Like they might not be able to walk. They might not be able to get out of bed or like, let's say they lose their eyesight or something like that. Inside of that person is still your person. Inside of that shell is still your person. And it's harder to connect with that, but it's definitely worth it to put in the work to, despite how scary it is. Hmm. And I am just speaking to my experience. I was terrified of connecting with him because I felt like he was, he was gone, you know, like yeah. my, the dad that I knew, yeah. he was still in there. He just had to bring him out because of how much he was struggling. And I was thinking so much of myself. Like I was scared. I wish I would have thought more of how much, how scared he was and what he had to go through. Yeah. So I guess I'm kind of rambling now but the message that i just i really wanted to convey through all this is to the simple one if you if your parents are alive and you're close with them and you'd like to go give them a hug next time you see him give them a call right after this text him tell him you love him um even if they don't have cancer and they're perfectly healthy and they squat 500 pounds and like they're they're gonna be around <laughs> until they're 95 um yeah because this was still quite sudden for us you know right it was um the craziest part about it is that the day that he died, me and my wife were visiting him and uh, we were talking about football, talking about Star Wars. He was really excited about um, the new Mandalorian that came out this week. He was so excited for it. And we were talking about it and BYU had played the day before. We were talking about the game and um, how excited he was for them to be going into the Big 12 this next year. We'd have a normal conversation. And yeah, he was sick and he could barely talk and his heart rate was super high and the nurses were really, really worried about him. But in that moment, it was my dad, and he just felt like he just needed to get better. Right. His heart rate was high because he was talking about BYU. Probably. <laughs> yeah. It was like 125 the whole time we were there. Um, uh, but it just it felt normal. My mom was saying that the day before, they had him doing exercises in his room. Like the, mm. the physical therapist came in, and he was doing like squats and stuff like that. Mm. And they were like preparing a, a – what's the word? A, I think a, a discharge plan, like when, when he can go home. Okay. And so like, cool, like dad's going to be home soon. Yeah. And I remember – this is like a really happy, sad memory. Um, my mom showed up because we were just there giving my mom a break because she had been there 24-7. So we, yeah. we went there for like four or five hours. I'm so happy we did this because we just talked. Me and my dad would shoot the crap and talk about stupid <laughs> stuff. And it was just me and him talking about stuff. And then this guy came in. It was a respiratory therapist. Had him doing a breathing treatment. And he was from the same town as my dad. They actually like grew up around the same area. And they were able to oh, like wow. talk and connect. And it was just my dad making friends with a dude the way that he always would. My dad could make friends from with anybody. And he was just doing that again. Like, oh, here's my, here's my dad making friends with a random person again. And it felt so normal. And I remember leaving a huge smile on my face. Hmm. I, I opened the door, like this little sliding glass door. And I was like, all right, see you later, party people. And I gave him a, a peace sign. He's like, see you later. And, um... Yeah, that was a really weird experience because five hours later, I want to say, I got a call from my mom sobbing saying that he wasn't going to make it through the night. It was such a weird thing. Mm. It was so sudden. Yeah. So I guess what I was trying to get at with that is even if they have cancer and um, or even if they don't, not to like make things really doom and gloom, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is to be grateful for the relationships that you have and love and show love to your people in your life um without apology never pass up an opportunity to visit your loved ones never pass up an opportunity to show that you love them never pass up an opportunity to be there for them no matter how hard it is to confront the reality of what's truly going on mm. and never forget that despite how crappy and crummy they look or feel that you can still connect with who they were despite how bad they're feeling. So those are the, those are the lessons I've learned up to this point. I'm currently going to therapy. Um, I have an awesome therapist. She's doing such a good job helping me kind of 
I have a lot of other problems outside of like, sure. Just like yeah. self-care issues. And we yeah. talked about that before. I just never didn't good at like managing stress. Um, but we're working a lot on like processing this trauma of losing my dad. And I think the biggest thing that has helped me is connecting positively to my dad, despite that he's gone. We talked about this in the last episode. Yeah. Um, what she's having me do is, um, she like asked me to like start a journal and like, in the journal, like find opportunities where you felt your dad throughout the day. And, and I guess this is more tailored for advice. You've already lost their, their loved ones, maybe to cancer or any other reason. Um, I found it really beneficial to listen to music that reminds you of them. My dad is huge into music. And so I listen yeah. to the same music that he did. And I just, I kind of, I feel his presence and it just feels like he's in there in the car with me listening to this. Um, I wrote a poem about him. <laughs> that was at the, the direction of my therapist. She's like, have you ever tried, like, because I told her I like creating things. I like to be, mm-hmm. like, creative. And she said, you ever, like, tried writing a poem about him? And so I did. And it was actually a really cool experience. And so I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that your grieving experience is probably not going to be what you expect out of it. Yeah. Because the months and, like, the the days and weeks after he passed, they were, like, a blur. And it's, like, you're kind of numb during that point. I think for a good reason. We had a lot of things to do funeral to plan yeah so much craft to take care of because it was it really was sudden um in the grand scheme of things but now like the real work goes in now like i'm I'm, a, I'm about three months disconnected from this and it's still pretty recent but now like i have this trauma that's sitting there and now i have to put the work in to really work on it and so for those of you who are experiencing someone who's currently in treatment and you find it stressful i wish i would have gone to therapy earlier because my stress ball built up so much and it slowly exploded the day of and the week after he passed away. It was just like, mm. I was a mess. Yeah. Um, internally, externally, I was, I looked like a machine planning a funeral, doing all this stuff. I was dying on the inside. It was you were so still bad. a mess on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. You were holding it together though. Um, you had a lot to do for sure. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, then the, I guess the other thing that I wanted to get at was, um, I don't even know where I lost my train of thought, honestly. Just look for ways to connect with that person. And I guess I, this is what I was going to say. Your grieving process is probably going to be a surprise of how different it is to what you think that it is. Because I picked up yoga. I have picked up um, poetry writing. I want. I think I want to write another poem. Because mm-hmm. the poem I wrote about was the night that he died and how terrible it was. I think I needed to process that yeah. and like fully understand how I felt. And so I wrote a poem about it. And I think I want to do another one about like who he was as a person to try to positively remember mm-hmm. because people have may, yeah. maybe lost a loved one. They might be at a point where the only memory they have is like, especially if you watched them die uh, for me, I did like I, my hand was on his, on his hand with my fingers into his um, radial artery. I was trying to feel his pulse to see when he actually died. Yeah. So I was like, kind of like this, like mm-hmm. I, my hand was in his hand and my thumb was not my thumb. Like my index finger was like, I was trying to feel his pulse. So I knew when he was really dead. Wow. Um, so I could like get that closure because yeah. I, I couldn't just sit there and watch because we had taken the machines off of him. We were tired of the beeping because every now and then the machines would turn off and an alarm would go off. Oh, it, it was like every 10 minutes an alarm would go off. His SPO two would drop and it, we were so tired of it. So like nurses, can we just take this off of him? And so they turned it all off and they just kept like a little monitor on his finger. So they knew when he was passing away hmm. and so they could kind of like come and be like, okay, it's time to check the vitals and, but I couldn't handle that. So I, I took a, a knee by his bedside and I was there for about the last, and I guess to give some more background, I don't know why I'm going back into this now. Um, he was on oxygen and it was the only thing keeping him alive, um, was supplemented oxygen. And the doctor said if, if they gave him morphine, which they did to just ease the pain. So he was no longer in discomfort. And so he would just go to sleep. And if we took the oxygen mask off of him and we had to get his consent to do it, then he would pass away quicker. Hmm. It was a really weird experience. Um, yeah, that is weird. We were able to wake him up for a second, and he like he was super high. It was mostly his. It's like his spirit wasn't in there. It was like his just his body was answering us. Hmm. He was just like a like like dad. Do you want to do you want to take the oxygen off? Are you are you done? And he like he's like nodded his head like I'm done. Sorry, and uh, we took the oxygen. My my. My uncle took it off. They're like, it's time to take it off. Like, we need to, we need to speed this up. Because our biggest fear is that it was going to last a couple of days. You know, right? We did just not like there. just 
and uh, I was like, my uncle just took off the oxygen mask and like, we, we just got to take it off. And things got really ugly after that. Like he started like turning blue and stuff like that. And it was, his body started like, it was a terrible sight. But yeah. then like, I kind of got closer to him cause like he started moving less and you could tell that his body was just shutting down. Brain was yeah. shutting down. Just got up there by his hand, felt his pulse. And that was a terrifying moment. But it's another one of those things that I don't regret doing. I was actually really proud of myself in that moment, like really leaning into it. I think it's one of the yeah. few times I really leaned into it. And, uh, like I was able to like hold his hand and stuff. So I guess lesson learned there. That was the most terrifying moment for me and leaning in made it better because I was mm. able to connect with him one last time. Wow. Yeah. Because I'm a religious person and I'm not, I'm unapologetic, unapologetically tell my story about this. I believe in an afterlife called the spirit world. And, yeah. Um, as soon as he passed, this is, I think the last lesson that I want to, I want to say and talk about is that I felt his pulse go flat. It was like a couple of like really sporadic beats. It was like, and then it was just gone. Hmm. Terrible, eerie feeling. Yeah. It was just flat. His vein kind of like collapsed. I felt like it kind of just like his body just like released. Wow. And anyone who's experienced death. I'm sorry if that was a trigger for you. Um, anyone who's seen that or felt that or experienced it first person, it's a terrible thing because they immediately go blue. And wow. it's like, he looked disgusting, honestly. Yeah. Um, but like turned away, started crying in my wife's lap. But for a moment I was able to like caught up in like almost like a vision of him, him like six or seven years ago, kind of chunky, a little bit of hair, you know, yeah but smiling hmm. and there's this great, I don't even know what to call it. Like music piece called the sacred veil. This guy who lost his wife to cancer explains what it was like for him to lose his wife. Hmm. And there's this song within the piece called the you rise, I fall. And it was a poem that they turned into a song. And in the poem it says your struggle ends as mine begins. And I think the most powerful thing from this whole experience is in that moment when his pulse left and I knew that his body was finally deceased, his struggle had finally stopped. He was able to finally rest and be done with stupid chemo, be done with the coughing, be done with having to work through cancer. He worked the, he was working up until two weeks before he died. (laughs) Crazy dude. He was, he was working at the BYU football locker room two weeks before he passed away. He's so awesome. Freaking beast. Yeah. Um, Cause that's just who he was. And yeah. the day that he passed away, he was like the last thing he said to one of the last things he said to me is like, I cannot wait to go back to work. I'm so excited to get back to work and just like start like working again. But he was, he was, I remember that feeling and like, it was a very vivid picture of him just smiling his struggle had finally ended and mine was truly beginning. And my mom has talked about this too. It was hard up to that point, but the real stuff started on November 27th at 10:33 PM. That's the time that he, he, he died. That's when it really started. Like the pain got 10 times worse after that. Um, but that was always, I don't want to call a silver lining, but there was always that little tidbit that he was finally at peace. I no longer have to worry about going to their house and hearing him cough or throw up or run up to the bathroom because he's having an explosive number two from the chemo, you know, like I never have to worry about him not eating enough or worrying that he's losing weight. It was a really eerie kind of creepy thing to feel this way. But when we went back to my mom's house after, after he had died, my mom looked at me and I, we were kind of talking about it and we were like, why are we relieved? Like we both felt relieved. Like we were devastated, absolutely devastated. Yeah. But like we felt so good over the fact that he was finally done struggling. And I think this is where it's kind of unique to cancer or like just chronic illness, a type of chronic illness that ends up taking a person's life. More specifically, cancer tends to be this way. And that's why that poem kind of stuck out to us is that as much as it hurts to lose them, the joy that comes from knowing that their suffering is over is a, is an experience that I cannot put into words. Yeah. And that fuel experience. Yeah. Seriously. Like it's so hard to describe and I'm not even going to try like the whole, like it's almost too sacred to try yeah. to describe, yeah. but it was like a perfectly balanced feeling of total devastation and utter happiness for the person that I loved 
And I felt so balanced in that moment after he passed away, like disconnect from that terrible cold hospital room that smelled bad and whatever. Um, in my childhood home, sitting on the couch where I'd watched the Mandalorian with my dad and mm. watched BYU games sitting there. I felt so balanced, you know, at least for a moment. Yeah. Cause I was able to fully balance these thoughts of my dad is done suffering and man, I miss him so much already. And it had only been like yeah. 30 minutes. And so, um, I guess that's the last lesson that I want to pull out of my story is that I know how hard it is to watch someone struggle for so long and people struggle with different things beyond cancer. I mean, think of schizophrenia, how hard that could be. Um, but my experience is colon cancer of my father and that the pure bliss of knowing that that pure soul no longer has to worry about imminent death hmm. and his next cancer, his next chemo treatment or his yeah. next blood test. Yeah. And I know I also no longer have to worry about that anymore. And I can now remember my dad for who he was pre-cancer because that's who he is now. Like right. I, I do believe in an afterlife of, right. of his spirit being in a place where he's back to his strongest self. Like, without his body of course like he is no longer suffering he's quite the opposite he's he's in a paradise of 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 a place where he can just focus on on maybe a little bit of relaxation i'm hoping but I watch byu games with the view <laughs> we we joked because um a couple of weeks after he died byu played in their new mexico bowl and um they had to start a freshman quarterback and he ended up playing so well like for yeah. a freshman quarterback he mainly just ran it yeah. he looked like freaking like Michael Vick out there and it was really cool to watch. <laughs> and we were joking that, um, my dad was on the sidelines, like pumping people up because, yeah. um, he would always do that from the couch at home. So I just imagined him doing what he did on the couch at home in New Mexico on the sidelines. It's like a spirit because <laughs> man, he would yell and scream and like swear, swear pretty loudly <laughs> at the screen. And, and that's the ability to even do that, you know, yeah. just remember him yeah. as who he was. And, um, yeah, final bit of advice there. Do everything you can to not forget who they were. Yeah. Because there's so much more than their cancer. In the moment when they're getting treated, it takes everything from them. It just does. And they get torn down to the very primal instincts of a human, unfortunately. But they were so much before that. So connect yeah. with everything that you can in any ways that you can to that person who they were. And during and after they pass mm. away. And honestly I have nothing more to say than that is always stay connected to them even after they pass and it, not to who they were during cancer who they were before that and in those moments where they were strong and you saw them brave treatment those are examples of who they were beforehand just kind yeah. of shining through and uh the end that's <laughs> a yeah no I love that and really thanks for sharing I know it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it can be hard to relive some of the experiences yeah talk about them so i really appreciate yeah absolutely and i'm I'm sure everyone else here listening appreciates it too so some big takeaways be present Mm -hmm. lean in if you feel love for someone tell them (laughs) hug them hug them rather than just saying i i really appreciate that person and go tell them do everything you can to know that they love you so there's no doubt about it when they're on their deathbed yeah go tell them if you're if you're thinking something that's nice Say it. Mm-hmm. Why keep it to yourself? Go spread it. We hope you learned something new. Hope you had some great insights through Austin's story. If you do want to um, reach out to Austin, you can reach out to us through Instagram. Oh, yeah. Um, if you want to, like if you're going through this situation, you want advice or you want someone to hear you, Austin's here for you. I'm here for you. I would just point you to Austin. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. This and so... Um, but again, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, you're amazing. And thanks for listening to me cry. <laughs> I was trying not to. <laughs> We're all about vulnerability. Oh yeah. As we know. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we... one last thing then, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, to kind of like precursor to my next episode that we're going to record probably in like 10 minutes, oh, <laughs> but, yeah. there you go. um, you guys will hear it mm-hmm. next week. Um, it's colon cancer awareness month. And so we're going to talk about that in our next episode. We're going to talk about some myths regarding cancer in general. I think we're just going to talk about just colon cancer in general, like prevention, some statistics, mm-hmm. what you should know about it, what you should know about for your loved ones, how to prevent it. And um, just so you know, we're going to we're going to celebrate Colon Cancer Awareness Month because, uh, yeah, it's one of the last things I told my dad. Um, 
I like covered his face with a blanket, whispered into his ear. Um, I said, the world's not going to forget you and I'm going to take care of your wife. And so this is my attempt at doing that. Yeah. Um, making sure the world doesn't forget him and what his struggle was. So we can do some myths, talk about some statistics and, uh, talk about colonoscopies. Oh, how All fun right. is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Colon cancer awareness month. Celebrate with us. Uh, make your Instagram bios blue. Yeah. The color is blue. The color is blue. And we'll let Danny D take us out. Yeah. Thanks Talk Danny. To you next week. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy, yeah?